Hey everyone, it's Pacific, and welcome to another episode of Insidious Inspirations. First up, apologies about the delay, uh, but we are here now with this week's episode, and we will have another one next Tuesday as well. Uh, first things first, if you like the show and you like what we do, consider giving us a review. Reviews are one of the best ways to get our shows into the ears of new listeners. You can review our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or even Podchaser. And if you really, really like the show, consider telling a friend. Word of mouth is also one of the best ways to get our show into the ears of new listeners. Without further ado, this week's episode... In 2014, American supernatural horror film Ouija released in theaters. Writer Juliette Snowden and her husband, director Stiles White, created the story, which follows a group of teenagers unknowingly releasing evil spirits when they play with the Ouija board. The movie received largely negative critical reception. In spite of its classic, spooky subject matter, the film's execution failed to follow through on the thrills and chills promised. Still, it spawned a prequel, Ouija Origin of Evil, in 2016, which was met with a far more positive reception. Ouija and its prequel are far from the first horror films to feature the infamous spirit board. Ouija boards have appeared in dozens of films over the years, including The Exorcist, What Lies Beneath, Don't Panic, Paranormal Activity, Veronica, and the hilariously titled Ouija Shark, it's exactly what it sounds like, among many others. It's only natural that horror writers throughout the decades have been captivated by the notion of a gateway to another world, a way to conjure spirits and demons with nothing more than a flat surface covered in letters and a simple planchette. The board's popularity is not just the stuff of silver screen, either. It's in stores, online, and on board game shelves across the world. For the low, low price of $17.99, anyone can cross the veil between our world and the next, or at least touch a planchette with a bunch of their friends ask a question, and wait in tense silence to see who, or what, might answer. But where did Ouija boards come from? In order to understand how communicating with voices from beyond the grave went from a hallowed ritual to the property of the Hasbro Toy Corporation, we need to look back to the 1800s, at a time when communicating with spirits was sweeping the world like a new fashion trend. This is the story of modern American spiritualism, an ambitious toy maker, and the wonderful talking board. I'm Nicole Goodnight, and this is Insidious Inspirations. Spiritualism, the belief in the ability of the living to communicate with the spirits of the dead, was popular in Europe throughout the Victorian era. Seances were a common pastime of upper-class women, hoping to reach their long-lost loved ones in the afterlife. Though it stirred the hearts and minds of Europe for years, it came across the pond to America seemingly overnight, in a Hydesville, New York farmhouse in spring of 1848. The pair of young sisters that lived there, Kate and Maggie Fox, 11 and 14 years old respectively, invited their neighbor to watch them perform an exciting new trick. But this was no mere piano recital or puppet show, the sort of thing one might expect from girls their age. Instead, the neighbor was ushered into a room where the girls' parents were waiting. As the girls sat on the bed, their mother called out to an invisible presence, asking it to count to five. Something did, and five knocks were heard throughout the room. She asked for fifteen, and the invisible entity obeyed. Next, she asked the supposed spirit to count out their guest's age. It was answered with thirty-three taps. What was the source of these strange sounds? 
According to the Fox sisters, a spirit had manifested itself in their home and would communicate by knocking and rapping on the walls when they asked it questions. Frightened by the activity, the Fox family left their home and sent Maggie and Kate to live with their older sister Leah in Rochester. There, the girls' supernatural correspondence drew the attention of local community leaders Isaac and Amy Post. Rumors spread like wildfire through the town, claiming that the spirit that Maggie and Kate spoke to was that of a man murdered in their former farmhouse home years ago. The Posts decided to invite the girls to perform their unusual feat, curious to see if they could communicate with the spirit there. Sure enough, as the girls asked questions, their invisible friend answered with heavy thumps from beneath the floor. Thoroughly impressed by the Fox sisters' performance, the Posts rented the largest hall they could find in the city and held a live demonstration where 400 people came to see the young mediums. Afterward, Amy Post permitted a group of skeptics to examine the girls, looking for any hidden devices or anything that could have been used to fake the phenomenon, but they found nothing of note. The Fox sisters were rising stars of spiritualism, headed for a meteoric rise and an eventual, catastrophic fall. They toured the country, performing their conversations with spirits in major cities from Cleveland to Washington, D.C. Eventually, in 1888, the reign of the Fox sisters came crashing down when Maggie gave an interview to the New York World, confessing to faking everything, from the very first manifestation in her and Kate's childhood home. The girls had simulated the sounds of knocking, using first an apple on a string and eventually the joins in their knuckles and toes. But even as the debunking of the famous Fox sisters and a decline in the popularity of mediums and seances seemed to signify the death of spiritualism in the United States, the fascination with the paranormal was not going anywhere. Americans had already welcomed ghosts into their homes, embraced spiritual practices as the latest American pastime, and a new trend was rising to fill the gap in that market. In 1886, the Associated Press ran a report on an exciting new practice that was gaining popularity among the spiritualists of Ohio, the talking board. It was a board, printed with numbers and all of the letters of the alphabet, with a small, movable, triangular device used to point to them. Those hoping to contact a spirit would place their hands on the moving piece, ask a question, and wait for an invisible hand to spell out the answer. Charles Kennard, an inventor in Baltimore, Maryland, was fascinated by the article on these talking boards and gathered four of his colleagues together to start the Kennard Novelty Company. Their product? These mysterious and potentially highly lucrative talking boards. None of the founders of the Kennard Novelty Company took spiritualism especially serious, but they knew a business opportunity when they saw one. But though the men had a concept for their product and a company with which to market it, they hadn't yet come up with a name. For this, Kennard's colleague Elijah Bond turned to his sister-in-law, Helen Peters, who considered herself a talented medium. Helen and the men sat around a table, the talking board sitting in the center, and she asked the board a simple question. What should we call you? The planchette moved and spelled out O-U-I-J-A. What does that mean? she asked. And the board simply replied, good luck. With a name and a business plan picked out, it was time for the Kennard Novelty Company to patent their product. Bond brought Helen Peters with him to the patent office in Washington to help him file his application. The patent officer was skeptical of the board and demanded a demonstration to prove its efficacy. If Peters and Bond could get the board to spell out the chief officer's name, which supposedly neither of them knew, then he would approve the patent application. Sure enough, the planchette spelled out the man's name perfectly, and he was suitably impressed. Of course, it should be mentioned that Bond was a patent attorney, and may have already known the man's name, but from the perspective of the patent officer who had just experienced his first brush with the impossible, 
the Ouija board had proven itself. Bond was issued a patent for the Ouija board, now ready to sell, and sell it did. An ad in a February 1891 issue of the Pittsburgh Dispatch advertised the amazing novelty, boasting that it could answer questions about the past, present, and future with marvelous accuracy, that it would provide never-failing amusement and recreation for all the classes, and a connection between the known and unknown, the material and immaterial. All around the country, similar ads promoted the incredible new product. By 1892, the Kennard Novelty Company expanded from one Baltimore factory to a massive operation with two factories in Baltimore, two in New York, two in Chicago, and even one in London. In 1893, Kennard and Bond abandoned the company to escape the stress, leaving William Fould to run things as the exclusive rights holder. He remained in charge of the company until 1927 when he fell to his death from the roof of a new factory one that the Ouija board itself had supposedly instructed him to build. The Ouija board may be associated with horror in unintentionally invoking the forces of evil now, but at the height of its early popularity, it had a much more wholesome image. In May of 1920, Norman Rockwell himself, whose name is forever linked with idealistic Americana, drew a Saturday evening post cover that featured a man and a woman happily playing with their Ouija board, the picture of supernatural domesticity. Not all of the Ouija board's publicity was positive, however. In 1930, Claude Heidel Markand was murdered by Lila Jimerson and her friend Nancy Bowen. Jimerson had used a Ouija board to convince Bowen that Markand was a witch and responsible for Bowen's husband's death. Still, in spite of this bit of bad press, few people directly associated the Ouija board with any kind of evil. In 1967, Parker Brothers, the game manufacturer behind Monopoly, Clue, and other family game night classics, bought the rights to Ouija. A Ouija board even appeared in an episode of I Love Lucy. The board was a curiosity a bit of fluffy fun to get the blood pumping and cozy up to the idea of ghosts and spirits in a non-threatening environment. But then, in 1973, a movie was released that changed the Ouija board's public perception forever. Audiences were shaken to their core by the supposedly based-on-a-true-story events depicted in The Exorcist, a hellish horror flick about a young girl possessed by a demon after playing with a Ouija board. With the satanic panic of the 1980s just on the horizon and the stomach-churning Manson murders barely in the rearview mirror, Americans were poised and ready to turn on anything that represented a gateway to darkness. A switch flipped in the public consciousness, and no longer was the Ouija board a light-hearted game for the whole family, including the deceased members, to enjoy. Still, this newfound fear of tampering with Ouija boards did nothing to destroy the game's popularity. Hasbro acquired Parker Brothers, and Ouija boards continued to fly off the shelves. They became, like Bloody Mary and other supernatural games, a chance for the adventurous and morbidly curious to frighten themselves, to take a walk on the edge and see what kind of nightmares they could scare up. And so, the Ouija board has not died, but rather found an afterlife as the star player in horror stories both on and off screen. Up next, we get into some stories of Ouija boards gone wrong, the kind you might tell around a campfire or while staying up too late at a sleepover. We'll also take a look at some potential scientific explanations for the way the board works. Hint, it might not be ghosts. But first, a word from our sponsors. If you're interested in listening to the show ad-free and getting access to bonus content, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash insidiouspod. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a 
happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now, back to our show. Like everything that makes its way into the world of modern horror folklore, the aforementioned Bloody Mary, Slenderman, the Charlie Charlie Challenge of several years ago, the Ouija board has achieved genuine urban legend status. It seems like just about everyone has their own story of a Ouija board experience gone wrong. Maybe it happened to them or to their sibling, or more likely it happened to a friend, a friend of a friend, or their old friend's brother's former roommate. Still, whether you believe the stories or not, there's an undeniable pull to the tales of shaking fingers following a planchette, as it spells out a message from another world. The same pull that keeps us all coming back to creepypastas, campfire stories, and chilling chain letters. It's tough to resist a good scary story, so why not indulge a little bit? Here are some anonymously submitted, absolutely definitely true stories of people who used a Ouija board to reach out into the unknown, only to have something sinister reach back. Reader's Digest asked real people to write in with their spookiest Ouija board stories, and they more than delivered. One young man who identified himself as Tommy decided to play around with a Ouija board with some of his dorm mates in college. They wanted to take advantage of the perfectly scary atmosphere, a dorm that was once a morgue before the university had bought the property. As they placed their hands on the planchette, however, and it began to move, the spooky fun turned deadly serious. Whatever was speaking to them through the board claimed that 83 demons would be coming to get everyone who lived there. That was only the beginning. Objects in the dorm began to move on their own. Lights began to flicker on and off with seemingly no cause. And it wouldn't stop until the students asked a priest to come in and bless the room. When Paige was a little girl, moving into a new house with her mother and older sister, the family decided to liven up a night sitting on the floor eating pizza amongst their boxes by breaking out their old Ouija board. They lit a fire in their fireplace, cleaned up the pizza boxes, and began to play with the board. As they did, however, a box containing several heavy books flew across the room, thrown by an unseen force. Then, before the girls and their mother could react, the fire was suddenly snuffed out all at once. They were all so shaken up that Paige's mother took the family to her grandmother's house for the night. While invisible entities made themselves known in the previous stories, a man named Glenn witnessed something a bit more substantial. While using a Ouija board, he was shocked to see an apparition, the ghostly image of a little girl wearing antique clothing. More curious than afraid, he reached out to his neighbors, who happened to be historians studying the area. When he described the appearance of the little girl, it was their turn to be shocked. There had, indeed, been a little girl matching that description who lived in his house. She had been a tuberculosis patient who died in the late 1800s. If you like to hear people describe their brushes with the otherworldly in their own words, there's plenty of that out there, too. Cosmopolitan.com gathered stories from Reddit users responding to calls for first-hand experiences. User no underscore springs wrote, I was about 12 or 13 spending the night at a friend's house, goofing around with the Ouija board with him and his sister. We were getting all sorts of gibberish, plus words spelled out, just kind of scaring ourselves for fun, not taking it very seriously. Then we got the message, I can see you through the window. And then, I can see you through his eyes, or something like that. There was just a small window in the basement room where we were, and just the backyard and woods past the driveway visible through that window. We asked it more questions, and it said, I'm under the car. So we somehow got up the nerve to go out with a flashlight and peer under the car, where we saw a huge black stray cat hissing. We ran inside freaking out, and at that exact moment, the power failed and all the lights in the house went out. We just about actually shit ourselves. A few minutes later, the power came back and we stayed up until dawn that night, scared and never played with the board again. 
Another user, Beetleape, received a truly creepy Christmas present. I got a Ouija board for Christmas when I was in sixth grade. Great Christmas present, huh? That night I went over to my best friend's house and brought the Ouija board with me. We went up to her room, set it on the floor, and asked, is there anyone in the room with us? The planchette spelled out Ruth, which was my grandma's name and her great aunt's name. Both my grandma and her great aunt had died that year. We threw the board back in the box and were totally freaked out. I brought it home and put it in my closet, but every time I looked at the box, it gave me this horrible, creepy feeling, so I ended up throwing it in the dumpster a couple years later. User Gothside29 recounted a truly disturbing incident after she and her ex-boyfriend tried to contact a lost friend. Once, right after my ex had lost his friend in an airplane accident, we took it out to use it. She was very present, she was very scared and alone and desperate for communication. We stopped using it and immediately I felt this presence in the corner of the room. I closed my eyes to take a deep breath. Suddenly the pointer started moving rapidly around and going too fast to spell out the words. It was terrifying. I refused to use the Ouija board again. I immediately felt exhausted, completely and utterly drained. I lay down and had a nap. I was asleep for exactly 30 minutes. I woke up, bolted out of bed, I closed my eyes for a second to adjust myself to where I was, and I saw this spirit skeletal thing standing in the corner of the room. It suddenly rushed at my face and started screaming at me with a big, gaunt mouth. I opened my eyes and started screaming at my boyfriend to get it off me. I could feel it so oppressive and aggressive trying to get on in me. I ran from the house screaming, shaking. I don't think I ever used the Ouija board again. One day it disappeared from my bedroom. It completely vanished. I have never found it. I have no explanations for what happened to it. User Arabella was another young girl subjected to the time-honored tradition of the slumber party seance. When I was around 12 to 14, one girl brought a Ouija board to my friend's birthday slumber party. I was pretty skeptical, but also really curious about it, as I had never used one before. We took turns asking questions, and I just figured someone else was moving the planchette. The other girls were pretty creeped out, but I wasn't until it answered a question for me that nobody else knows the answer to. To this day, I can't explain how that answer appeared or any of the other paranormal experiences that happened after we put that board away. I truly believe that we contacted something and it stuck around. There were just generally a lot of small things like footsteps above us when we were on the top floor. The door kept swinging open on its own and the girl who lived there said it never did that on its own before then. The creepiest part was that a bunch of us randomly woke up around 3 or 5 in the morning and a few girls saw a black figure walking down the street outside the window. Apparently one of the girls had seen what they thought was the same figure with his face at the window on the second story earlier in the night. Finally, user the tree man may have gotten insight into a real missing person's case through their use of the board. When I was little, my mom took out a Ouija board and asked my brother and I if we'd like to play with it. It started out pretty funny. Someone was obviously moving the glass thing, making words like poop and stuff like that. Did I mention we were young enough for that to be hilarious? But then my mom said let's get serious and try to contact someone. Here's where it gets weird. A friend of hers had recently gone missing. He'd been missing for a month or so and nobody knew where he was. When we asked who it was we're talking to, his name was spelled out. Let's just say it was George since I genuinely don't remember. When we asked George if he was my mom's friend, he said yes. My mom got visibly upset and asked where he was. In a lake was spelled out. It was extremely upsetting and we stopped immediately. Mom tried to be lighthearted about it and since I was young I believed it was no big deal as well following her lead. About two weeks later, they found George's body. He'd been hit by some car or train or something on some bridge and his body fell into the nearby lake, though it was more like a very large pond. It was a reasonably remote place, so nobody had found it for a while. Even when no actual demons or evil spirits are summoned, Ouija boards have still caused plenty of terror and mayhem. 
In November of 2014, 35 students at a school in Santa Cruz de la Sierra, Bolivia, were hospitalized after playing with a Ouija board. The students reported feeling agitated and confused, as well as suffering from intense sweating, rapid heart rates, and dissociative trance-like states. This is not the only case of a group of young people suffering physical symptoms after playing with a board, either. Between 2006 and 2007, the students at an all-girls Catholic boarding school near Mexico City began to display a wide array of symptoms from intense headaches to difficulty walking or standing on their own. 512 out of the students' 4,000 students were impacted by the sudden rash of anomalous ailments. The case drew the attention of Mexican psychiatrist Nishilia Loa Zavala, who attributed it to a case of mass hysteria originating with a student using a Ouija board to predict the outcome of a basketball game. The girl was expelled for using the board, and rumors began to circulate that she had somehow cursed the school. The intensity of belief in demons and ghosts among the students caused such high levels of stress that the girls began to actually feel physically ill. It could be that the Ouija board works as advertised, that supernatural invisible forces are moving the planchette to spell out messages from another world, but scientists and skeptics offer an alternative explanation. To borrow a classic horror line, the call is coming from inside the house. In this case, the house is us, our own bodies and minds, and the call is the signature, seemingly inexplicable motion of the Ouija board's planchette. So what is it that causes the planchette to move? Is every single group of friends that decides to try the board secretly plagued by one prankster moving the planchette even as they insist over and over again that they aren't? Maybe in a handful of cases, but the actual explanation is a bit stranger than simple deliberate mischief. It can be attributed to something called the idiomotor effect a reflex characterized by unconscious and involuntary movement. Essentially, even when we are trying our best not to move, our bodies often will move anyway. It happens subtly, in tiny little movements that we may not feel or even notice by looking. So, when someone plays with a Ouija board and is desperately trying to hold still while also believing that there just might be something supernatural at play, they might find themselves involuntarily itching the planchette in one direction or another. This can be especially influenced by the brain associating images or memories with the questions that are being asked of the board. There have been several scientific studies using Ouija boards in an attempt to document the way the idiomotor effect works with them. For example, in one study, participants who were blindfolded and unable to see the letters on the board spelled out messages that were more likely to be complete gibberish. If it was a spirit board moving the planchette and not the player, then the blindfold would not have that effect. If that wasn't compelling enough, Research suggests that the idiomotor effect is at its strongest when a person does not think they are controlling their movements. Essentially, the less control someone thinks they have, the more their subconscious is actually running the show. That doesn't mean Ouija boards are completely useless. In fact, a 2012 study found that using a Ouija board helped test subjects remember information more accurately than if they were not using the board. Some have used these findings to speculate that Ouija boards could be helpful for tapping into subconscious knowledge and even aid in the fight against degenerative neurological conditions like Alzheimer's. Still, in spite of this compelling explanation, there are still those who believe Ouija boards should be treated with the utmost caution and reverence. Even if they're intended to be a toy, or a way to sneak a peek at our own subconscious desires, there is the possibility that these boards could be opening a door to something we do not entirely understand. And that's something to be careful about. After all, if you open a door, you never know what might be waiting to step through it. Tonight's writer was Addison Peacock. Our host and narrator was Nicole Goodnight. And our editor and musician was the incredibly talented Danny Sweet. I'm your showrunner, Pacific S. Obadiah, and our producers are Tom Owen and Brad Miska. And this is a bloody disgusting show. 
For more information, visit www.insidious.show.